All right. Well, it's called the Feast of Shavuot. Say it slow. You can just say every letter in the word, and you're going to get that one. It's it's one of the easier ones. It's just a lot of letters in there. Shavuot, or which is the Hebrew word for weeks, like as in seven days, weeks. Or in Greek, it's Pentecost. And it's also, <laughs> just because I want to throw you off a little bit, it's also called First Fruits. So there's another First Fruits. Not just one at Passover. There's one for Pentecost, too, and I'll show you why. So when we think of Pentecost, as Christians, we probably think about the one that occurred 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And hopefully we also think about the first Pentecost with Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai, now free from Egypt. That's a pretty significant one. But amazingly enough, there are several profound shadows and types or prophetic pictures, if you will, of Pentecost. As far back as 4,000 years ago at the Tower of Babel, plus there's a Pentecost event in the life of Jacob. That's pretty cool. Uh, A fascinating shadow in the life of David. And each one of them reveals a unique revelation of what the heart of Pentecost is, even beyond tongues and fire and and all of that. So that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning for the next few hours. So how do we encounter Jesus in Pentecost? That's the question we're going to look at. So, you know me, let's start back at the beginning, (laughs) all the way back. We're going to go to Babel, all right? The Tower of Babel account is uh, surrounded in Genesis, early Genesis, and it's surrounded by two genealogies. So it it serves as kind of this transition between Noah's flood and the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham. And tongues fits in nicely because the genealogy in chapter 10, which is following it, lists 70 of Noah's descendants, each of whom become a forerunner of a major people group and most likely a unique tongue. So you kind of get this follow through if you're trying to understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. All right, Genesis 11, let's just go to it. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and one translation says, or unified words. Now, it can rightly be translated that way, but those words in Hebrew are Davarim and Ahadim. All right, Devarim Achadim. Devarim is pretty simple. It's the, the book of Deuteronomy. It's just, it's the word, words. <laughs> That's simple, right? The word words is Devarim. Hadim means sharp. All right, so therefore, you can probably figure out Devarim is are sharp words. Words that challenge or oppose God. That makes sense? Mm. So you don't really get that in your English translations. It looks like they're just hanging out. They're talking all one language, and then God gets upset and sends them all away but that's not the case all right so it's not a story that isn't just about a people who all speak one language but about a people who are also opposed to god and it may be helpful to remember that this is right after the time of noah and you probably are thinking let me think what was going on remember his half son grandson canaan is opposed to God and his father Noah and his brothers, his mother. So the roots of Babel really have a lot to do with Canaan and his descendants, which are an absolute mess, all the giants, mm-hmm. and it's just very, very bad. So next verse. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves, that's a big part, a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Starts to show up that these guys are not just having a good day, right? That sounds similar to a guy that got thrown out of heaven and like lightning. Doesn't it? Though? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And there you go as well. Yeah. A casting out. So this tower, or in Hebrew, it's called a migdal. 
It's uh, like an elevated stage, if you will. Very, very big, probably. They're also called ziggurats. You see those mm-hmm. in the Middle East. You see them down in Mexico and good portions of the world. So these guys are not trying to reach God in heaven. They're looking at themselves and want everyone to see how great they are. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They built this tower to climb atop it as a sort of a high place. So they likely wanted to unite around false worship and make themselves as gods. They definitely had idolatrous intentions. So if you don't get that in the story, just read a little bit deeper there. And Jehovah said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them come let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech and as you brought up looking back at satan is a probably a good reference point to say why god's intervening in this situation same reason he threw him out of heaven cast him to earth so something had to be done or, you know, instead of one-third of the angels being swept away, it would have impacted heaven greatly, and earth greatly. So, Jehovah dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there Jehovah confused the language of all the earth. Mm-hmm. All right. They're of one mind, that unity is around opposing God, and the result is the confusion of their language, and they were scattered across all the earth. So, that's kind of where we're going to starting. The scattering is this theme that will stretch through all these shadows I'm going to show you, all the way to Jerusalem, where 40 years after the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2, Rome destroys the temple, eliminating sacrifices, and the unbelieving Jews are scattered. So that's a very, very big theme. Uh, There's also a bit of veiled Hebrew wordplay going on in this story that plays a big part in understanding the heart of Pentecost, and you know how I love Hebrew wordplay. So, it involves the Hebrew idea of obeying, Mm. right? There's only one word for that idea in Hebrew. It's shema. You've probably heard that word before. It means to hear, listen, obey. So, it's interesting that the same word in Hebrew for hearing and obeying, just one word, right? That same word shema means both, to listen, as in to obey. And, you know, this linkage is not really uh, unique. We have that in English, too. When we tell our kids to listen, we really mean obey, right? (laughs) And they don't do either one. So, Shema is the name of probably their most important prayer. We actually call it the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy 6. It's usually prayed by every Jew, first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening, and it's supposed to be the last word you speak before you die. They consider the Shema to be the most important verse in the Bible. The verse calls the Israelites to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength. It's Shema Israel, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, Hero Israel, Yehovah is our God, Yehovah is one. A lot of times they'll say Lord or Adonai instead of Yehovah. The Babel story is all about language, hearing and obeying, Mm -hmm. and Shema is at the heart of that story. When the story begins, they all spoke the language of creation, Hebrew, because they could all speak and hear Hebrew, they could be unified and so could obey or disobey God as one when he spoke. Obviously, God created that language to create, Mm -hmm. so there is some power within that language, obviously. But they chose false worship and disobedience. They tried to build a tower to worship a false god and a top to make a name for ourselves. So suddenly, instead of one unified language, there were many which brought confusion and disunity. They could no longer hear, obey Hebrew, and they were scattered. And this is another bit of wordplay. The word name is shame. Uh, Name. Name. Okay? That word name is shame. 
which is the first part of the word Shema mm -hmm. here in Obey, which is to say your name defines you. You hear and obey God's specific call and the actions of your life, your purpose, or also your name, which also means honor and renown. It's interesting, these Hebrew words, how it adds some things to what you're reading. At Babel, their desire is to disobey God, or Shema, and to make a name, shame, for themselves, which led to the loss of the ability to Shema, hear the voice of God, the language of God, Hebrew, and the loss of their honor and renown. And he scattered them across the earth. Hmm. So the story then immediately transitions to the lineage of Shem. His name means, it's like shame, name, <laughs> honor, and renown, from whom Abram's, whose name becomes a source of blessing and honor to all mankind. You know, in Hebrew, a lot of the stories are so much bigger and it makes more sense. His story is the story, that is Abram's, told from then on. So that's a lot of Hebrew wordplay in there, but it's really, really important. It's not just name and hear and, and listen and obey. And since Shem is the father of the Semites, those who speak Hebrew, we can assume that they alone retained that original language of creation after Babel. So these are now major themes that we're going to see in Pentecost. A tower, amygdal, is present. There's a focus on heaven. Someone is exalted, sometimes good, sometimes bad. There's unity. Language and tongues is always a huge focal point, and a name is important, and of course, the people are scattered. So, um, we're going to go back to a story next, we'll come back, that I think is unique, because you might have never thought about it in this context, and it's the story of Jacob's Ladder. We'll journey there next. <laughs> 